Oh my stars, I am so thrilled you're here. My name is Kai Graham and welcome to another episode in my podcast, The Parent and Teen Toolbox, which is designed to equip parents and teenagers with the tools for navigating adolescence. I've been in the trenches of parenting and now I'm on a mission to help parents support their teenagers so that together we can build a mentally healthier and happier generation of young people. Each week you will receive learnings and takeaways that will help you tackle the challenges and the oh shit moments that are often associated with parenting tweens and teens. I have your back and I'm glad you're here. Hello, you lovely lot. Before we crack on with this week's episode, I just wanted to share with you some wonderful news that my podcast, The Parent and Teen Toolbox, has turned one. Now, for me, this feels like a graduation. It feels like it's pretty big things. But I think the thing is, is in podcasting terms, I think I think a year's running is, is, is pretty cool. And I want to celebrate and I want to celebrate with you. So throughout April 2021, I am offering any of my online courses at a 50% discount. Now, all the details are in the show notes, but uh, I just wanted to give you a quick heads up. I have four courses at the minute and another one in the pipeline, but four courses. One is Beat Your Anxiety, kygram.com forward slash anxiety. Another one is Breathe Through Your Big Emotions, kygram.com forward slash breathe. The third one is Crack Your Confidence, kygram.com forward slash confidence. You can see the pattern here, can't you? And the fourth one is self-care, the art of putting yourself first, kygram.com forward slash self-care. And the thing is, is that if you uh, basically the, it, it does what it says on the tin, but you can go and have a look at the information and sort of see if it, if it tickles your fancy. But in the check out, just type in the coupon code 5050. That's two words together, F-I-F-T-Y, F-I-F-T-Y. So this is just a way of saying thank you for listening to me. And if you need one of these courses, grab it in April because it's 50% off. So without further ado, let's get on with this episode. Much love. Ladies and gents, today we are talking about drug and alcohol misuse and actually how it affects the family as a whole. And I have got the wonderful Victoria Seed here, who, who is going to um, sort of, well, have a chat to me about it. Victoria is a family recovery specialist, and she helps families living with loved ones' addictions, and she is here to reduce stress and live a better life. She does this by supporting family members, but their friends and their partners to learn effective strategies to cope through the one-to-one support or also through her group programs. Having worked in the public sector and in the third sector, including the prison service, the NHS and other charitable organizations, she has spent a significant amount of time of of her career helping families as as a qualified substance misuse practitioner an NLP practitioner, a teacher, a safeguarding trainer, and a consultant. Victoria's mission is to provide a range of online support and to forge a community helping women and families to live their lives fully and free from addiction. Now, the work that she does ensures that her clients, that her client group is able to recover from the impact of problem drug and alcohol use. She also helps families get their loved ones to get the help that they need and guide them to encouraging their loved ones into treatment. So, Victoria, my love, thank you so much for being here. I'm thrilled that we're speaking to you today. And thank you so much for having me, Kai. It's much appreciated. I've been really excited about this conversation. Thank you. Well, listen, just tell me a little bit about, because it's been quite a sort of, you know, varied journey. Um, you know, tell me how you actually, the reason why you, you got to do what you're doing. I remember going, do you remember going to the careers office? Oh, yeah, yes. And yes. it was like in this really awful building in Lancaster where I'm from. And then you had to put your stuff into the computer. I can't remember what it asked. And then it kind of churned out a job for you, didn't it? And my job was social worker. 
And I thought, yeah, I want to do that. I was always interested in people and human beings. And actually, at the time, I thought, you know what? I'm going to work with all of these other children and families because I think my family is awful. <laughs> and it was, I shouldn't and it, laugh, should I? <laughs> but actually, like, I'll, t- I'll talk to you a little bit about that in a bit. You know, when you're, a, you're kind of a teenager and you just you know, you're wrestling with uh, whether your parents are right or wrong. Oh, yeah, yes, invariably, awful... come on, invariably they're wrong, aren't they? <laughs> oh, yeah, and how awful they are and how they do everything wrong. And now as I've grown up um, and have my own children, I just think that parents do what they can do with the resources that they have. And that involves like how, you know, any anything that they've learned from their childhood uh, and their own parents. And then any other resources that they've got. So what type of job they've got or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I have had um, uh, not a great relationship with my own mum and I don't actually have a relationship with her anymore through my own choice. Um, but I do forgive both of my parents for being quite hard work. <laughs> I'm younger as well. Um so yeah, I knew I knew really, really early on that I wanted to work with with people. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to do all of those. Um, and then when I was seventeen, I got thrown out of my house after yes. previous attempts before. And at that point, I thought, well, I'm not going back. So I got my own apartment. Um, I worked. I did lots of things. And this was all while I was doing my A levels. So I was a bit naughty at school. I wasn't that great but I still had the vision that I wanted to help other people so I went off I did my A-levels I was just pretty much average in everything because I was always working um I went to uni did a social ethics degree and then from there um I got a job uh, in a prison um uh, doing administration and then from there I, st- I moved over into education into prison education they trained me to teach because they got onto the fact I had a degree. So I taught 15 to 17-year-olds, male prisoners, social and life skills, literacy, and preparation for work. How old were you at this age? At this stage? I'm 26. Oh, for flip sake. Listen, I did that three or four years ago, and it's hard work at my age, so God knows how you coped it. All power to you. <laughs> Oh yeah, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy, but um, it was such a great experience because it prepared me for working with grown-ups who were yeah. harder work. Yeah, you know, managing yeah. managing staff and working with other grown-ups can be a lot harder than teaching prisoners. Believe me, you're, you're <laughs> quite right. Actually, yes, I, I I do many of them a disservice. That's unfair. You're quite right. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, that was an interesting piece of work. And then I worked in the prison service for about six or seven years. Um, and then I, I thought I want to get some community-based experience. I ended up moving away from home. Um, and actually, before I moved, I was in, I ended up in a violent relationship, um, which I, I didn't expect to happen. I was a confident, strong woman, pretty career-driven, uh, worked hard. Uh, but I ended up in this relationship it was really really difficult and I was in that for two and a half years so again I le- I did learn a lot from that I would rather it hadn't happened but it's actually given me some experience that I can bring into my work into my career yeah. and into my client work not that I talk about myself when I'm with my clients but sometimes you know you do bring that relevant information in because of the nature of my work with substance misuse, um, it, it helps to have some sort of understanding. Yeah, it does. And it, it also brings that sort of empathy angle in, doesn't it, as well? So, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's yes, it's being able to relate to the person that's sitting in front of you. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you don't always need it to be a professional, but it, it helps me yeah. in my work. So, uh, yeah, before I left Lancaster, I started working as a substance she's working in the prison and then I moved into working in the third sector so I went to work with children of alcoholics um I, I kind of realized in the prison that the 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 
young people that I was working with around their substance issues who were coming in and most of the time their offences were linked to that to drugs or alcohol but then they were going out home and then their recidivism rate was around 70 percent I think it's still about the same um so they were literally going out and coming in and I thought do you know what there's something about working with families here that's going to make more of a difference yeah so then I went to work with children of alcoholics we were providing help and support respite in a way but then the parents were still drinking so it was almost like I'd gone the other way and we still weren't reaching the parents and then the ideal position for me came up to coordinate a new service um which was working in a charity called early break delivering the holding families service and they'd piloted it in very where I live now um with children's services um the drug services um and yeah the young people services and decided that we needed to respond to the whole family and that model was great because it worked with the parents who were using substances, their children and the carers as well. So any other non-using or non-using members of the family. And that's really where I realised that there was so much power in supporting families, ideally whole families, but also just one member of the family can make a real difference. Mm-hmm. Um so three years, I had a couple of other positions where I managed, um, I was workforce, workforce Development Lead for Safeguarding within the NHS. Um, and then I set up the VESTA approach three years ago to support affected family members who were living with a loved one's substance use. Because I knew there was such a gap in families that would access local authority services or charitable services. Um, and I knew we were missing people, particularly women who were working, who had childcare, uh, you know, who were still affected by it, but weren't necessarily the type of quite typical client that we would get um, in local authority services. So that's how I got to what I did. So tell me, because I mean, a lot of parents will be sort of um, listening to this and sort of thinking, oh, well, I can relate to a little bit, but it's my situation's not serious enough to, you know, go and get um, support from sort of, you know, the local services. So what what is it that, you know, what are the things that we need to look out for? Because, I mean, this obviously is a parenting podcast. So it's, you know, the the, the focus is very much on, let's say, you know, the parents who might be sort of misusing um, be it drugs or alcohol substances of some sort, you know, how how can we support them through this podcast? Um, but, you know, to, to, to sort of get maybe support that they need rather than, uh, you know, but they might not be feeling strong enough or desperate enough, I say in air quotes, um, to actually go and reach out to sort of, you know, for, for, for sort of official support. Because, there are sort of varying degrees, aren't there? And I think a lot of people feel that, well, it's not that bad at the minute, so I'm going to endure it. And surely we should be trying to help them put the brakes on that. Yeah, so what I always try and do, which is hard because we know in our, our work, when you're working online and uh, podcasting and things like that, people search for terms like addiction, but the word is something that I don't always use because people don't relate to it. Yes, that's so, it. So the people who are using the substances themselves often don't realise how serious it is, or they do, but they're still, in, they're still possibly in denial. So there's different levels of substance use, if you will. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's experimental, which is what we would see our teenagers, our adolescents, doing drugs alcohol whatever other behaviors it is Um, and we normally see that in adolescence and then there's recreational use so that's where there's some kind of regularity or pattern to it so for example um you know going out every weekend meeting friends going clubbing whatever it is there's now a pattern of that behavior uh but it still might not be causing particular problems so we get a lot of yeah, uh, people who drink or take drugs at the weekend, and yeah, it could cause problems. But actually, the the kind of doing it at a level where you know it's not that bad. 
Um, and lots and lots of people do that week in, week out. But then there's a really fine line, and pardon the pun, between that recreational substance use and problematic. And we tip into problematic when it starts affecting our relationships, our work, our children, our parenting capacity, uh, our finances. You know, what I always say to parents who use substances is, or, or whose loved ones use it is what do the children experience when you or your loved one is sober? What do they experience when you are intoxicated? And what do they experience when you are coming down or hungover? And what might they experience when, as you say in air quotes, you are normal? Yes, yeah. (laughs) And when we look at those different aspects, that's when people think, actually, yeah, the children may be seeing different versions of me, even if you just drink on a Saturday night. Um, And then the next morning on the Sunday, you're hungover. That is, it isn't to make anyone feel guilty. It's just something worth thinking about. So I always say, if your substance is causing you any problems, that's usually the time where we need, you, you could be having a conversation with somebody you know, or having a look online for some support or just thinking about putting down. But obviously, we need to be conscious that with certain substances like alcohol and opiates, if people are struggling with those, you you know, if you can get medical support and advice, because there can be a risk of stopping. So avoid thinking about it as an addict or addiction and just think about the problems that, that you or your family is experiencing. Yeah, that's right. And I, 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 you're quite right. It's it's just how it sort of potentially disrupts the flow of family life, isn't it, really? Um, you know, because yeah. my, my my kids, um, ha- as I was saying to you before we started recording, my kids have um, three alcoholic grandparents. And whilst they are sort of slight, you know, have always been sort of slightly detached from that, especially when they were younger, um, it, it sort of it didn't impact them on a day to day basis, but it did. You know, when we sort of for a while we were sort of going into you know to have sort of Sunday lunch, and 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 often it was a bit like treading on eggshells, never knowing what the environment was going to be like, never knowing what you were actually going to turn up and find. And it was I I as a as an adult thought that we were quite good at shielding my kids. Until it got too bad, and then I sort of said I, I had to make the decision. No, this actually is affecting potentially affecting my kids, you know, sort of well-being. And I just sort of said, well, we won't be visiting, you know, sort of Granny and Grandpa for a while because you know they're not very, you know, that they're, they're not very well. And Alice just said, oh, that makes me happy because they scare me a bit. And I just thought we had been protecting her from it, and. Um, you know, kids are very, well, you know, they're, they're very good at picking up on sort of what's going on, aren't they? So as as even though the adult might think that they're being well-meaning and, oh, sure, I only take drugs or drink too much or do whatever at night time, the kids are still able to know exactly what's going on. Yeah, they do. And I've worked directly with children for a number of years that have lived with this. And some of the things that come out of it are, are the secrecy and the family trying to protect their children. And it's really well intentioned normally. Mm. But the best thing that we can do when it comes to familial substance use, where, the, where there is a problem, is to speak to the children about what yeah. is going on as, on, as honestly uh, and as age appropriately as possible. So, ideally, you know, that could come from the person who's got the problem themselves um, but we know that's not always possible and then what I hear from the other family members or the other parents for example is well I don't want to breach their trust and confidentiality by telling other people but the problem is if that person is choosing not to get help or to admit that they've got a problem or to change the secrecy within the family is going to have more of an impact not only on the children but on the adult, other adults that are keeping that secret. So um, if we can, it's about having that, um, having the conversation with the children wherever possible. 
and like you say exactly how you did protecting them from other grown-ups and sometimes siblings yeah um, who are who are using the substances because actually we don't want people intoxicated around the children do we um, and one of the things I work with families around is by setting those boundaries around you and the children. Um, what your loved one does with their substance use is up to them. We can't make those decisions for them. But what we can make a decision around is ourselves and what we are going to accept around us and how we are going to manage it, which is hard because I think when we think about boundary setting, people think about, well, they need to stop their substance use. They need to, but that doesn't work. It's about, like you did, Kai, actually, I'm not going to bring my children to see you because we're walking on eggshells when we come in. I don't know whether you're going to be drunk or not or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I I know sort of um, you have, you've got six strategies or something, haven't you, as a sort of six strategy, I don't know if you call it a plan or a model, that will help people, um, you know, sort of, apply these six strategies to their sort of lives if they're sort of struggling so tell me Victoria tell me a bit more about those so the first thing I always want affected family members to think about is putting themselves first because what happens is um uh, the families that I work with are constantly striving to get their loved one help and not themselves and I think yeah, people don't yeah. realize, yeah, a lot of people come to me and say, I didn't even know services like yours exist. Yeah. And they do. They do exist. They exist in every single local authority should be providing a family service for fat, for affected families. Yeah. And people can access that by ringing up the drug treatment service. So the first thing is just put yourself first. I, I remember... Um... You, as you rightly so say, you know, you, you're, you're permanently wanting to fix the person that is, is you know, is addicted or, you know, is, is misusing. And when I went to, and I know there are lots of other sort of support groups relating to which substance, but I went, I remember my first visit to Al-Anon and it was like, it was a crescendo of light bulb moments. And I, I, I never even I I had never been able to speak to anyone and it was just listening to other people's stories and other families and and you know learning about how this misuse was affecting the rest of you know and I was going oh my god that's me that's how I feel that's what I hear the whole time and it was really interesting um because I I always sort of thought well we weren't the broken ones and actually those be you know who are affected are indeed the broken ones as well and it's it you're quite right needing that help and support for yourself is absolutely vital and and I didn't know until I you know for a long time that it was actually available yeah and Al-Anon is just one of those one of the services available we've got you've got Al-Anon I have a a support group there's support groups all over the place you've got to be careful where you go because not everybody is professionally trained, but that doesn't always matter. It depends on what your needs needs yep. are, you know. I've been trained in the best family models, so the work that I do, not actually mine, I didn't invent it. It's all evidence-based <laughs> research that I've packaged, um, and I base mine on Phil Harris's model, The Concerned Other. There's a model called The Five-Step Method. There's another model called Craft, and I'm trained in all of them, and they're all fantastic. Uh, but they all evidence that families are very, very affected by this. It can affect, like the substance user, every aspect of your life. Yeah. Um, and just constantly having that level of stress and strain really can make you very poorly and stressed and worried. And then we get into that, um, uh, you know, that that reactive mode where we're th- thinking and reacting emotionally instead of strategically. So what I try and do is help my clients to switch on that that strategic brain, which is not easy. <laughs> but unless you know about the model, you don't know what to do, do you? So, I mean, this is why it's no. so important reaching out for help is someone sort of goes, listen, next time this happens, do X, Y and Z. Because yeah. if you if you're in the heat of the moment and you don't know that this is what you should be doing, of course, we're all going to react. Um, that's that's the sort of that that's the knee jerk response, isn't it? Yeah. 
And do you know what? Sometimes reacting is fine. It's yes. fine. We're going to react. We all do. I am emotionally reactive. I just did some training this morning and I always say I used to have respond, don't react plastered on my whiteboard at work because I'd just be storming around <laughs> reacting like a maniac to everything. And now that I'm a parent, I'm like, oh, I can't do that now. I'm just going to don't want my children to be affected by these emotional outbursts. <laughs> Uh, but sometimes I do, you know, that's life. But yeah, so the first thing is getting your own help and support yes. and putting yeah. yourself first. The second thing is really getting an understanding of addiction and recovery because, um, you know, we Google and we find bits and bobs of information, but there is a, a change um, called the cycle or the stages of change. And, and that is what people work through. And when families can look at that and identify where their loved one is on that cycle so like for example there's pre-contemplation which is where your loved one is not even thinking about change you're in denial and then there might be some families that come to me where their loved one is actually in contemplation and they're thinking about change or some people are in recovery but the family or in action but the family is still left behind because they're the ones left with all the memories and the difficult times and I think that that's the tricky thing, isn't it, is when sort of someone, you know, with the best of intentions are moving on and making changes and moving forward. And it's those those unhealed wounds that that people are carrying with them. And um, it's it is a process in itself for those to those wounds to be healed, isn't it? Oh, it is. And, I, you know, I know you've been through this yourself, Kai, so you'll you'll know a lot of what how this feels when you're going through that cycle of you know hoping things will change and then they don't and then they do and you're like and and you know the person in recovery might be like celebrating their recovery um however long that might last and hopefully you know it it lasts yeah. but it doesn't always and then the rest of the family are just left in this walking on eggshells scenario for a long time so I help people understand that and understand the processes of it so that they can see where the loved one is. They can see as well when they're changing and they can see where they are themselves as well. Um, and then we've t- we touched on before setting some healthy boundaries and really thinking about what you want your own life to look like, um, what you want it to be like, what you will accept in that, what you won't accept and what possibly you could compromise on. Um, and a really useful exercise is just to write it all down, uh, what you will accept, what you won't accept, what the compromise is. Because the other thing that I see families doing is coming up with boundaries, but they don't communicate them to the loved one. So we need to communicate them. But there's a skill in doing this because you don't want to go with a big list of <laughs> Boundaries. Oh, I've rules. tried all sorts of things, the do's and the don'ts, yeah. Well, let's face it, right? Okay, when we do this in parenting, it doesn't work. And when another adult tries to do it to us in adulthood, that doesn't work, does it? And when we set goals for ourselves in January, New Year's resolution, we have 25 things on it that I seem to do every year, even though I pretend I don't because I don't write them down, but they're in my head. Then you're like, I'm not going to do any of them too much stuff so we just yeah. want to focus on one or two prominent things so um so as a parent say if you're loved one you have a loved one in your child's life that's going through this you can think about what you want around the children you know what you want them to observe and then but that, that's that's sort of very often easier said than done setting your boundaries because um i i know so sort of, yes from bitter experience and from other sort of friends and family is that you know, we all have sort of different sort of degrees of tolerance and pain thresholds, don't we? And and um, I, I know I, for one, reached that sort of my my limit a lot earlier than others. So I sort of did the right enough. You know, I'm going to have to pull back here. I'm just going to. It's it, it's a matter of self preservation. Um, I mean, this is also it's not just funnily enough, it's not just with addictions, it's with toxic people, full stop. I've done this with friendships and, and you still go now enough and, and um, I, I'm not going to tolerate this. And yet the, it, there are other members of the family who are still wanting to sort of cling on to the fact that things might change or the fact that, you know, I, I have been my experience is that I have been outcast because I 
decided to, um, you know, pull my kids back from what was potentially fairly dangerous situations. And it was a bit, you know, it, it was, I found it sort of very troublesome because I was then pictured as the bad guy, even though it wasn't me that had the sort of, that, that had the substance or, you know, the, the alcohol abuse. Um, so how do, how do we help people remain resilient or or communicate that? What do we do there? Because it can be a very lonely decision to say, right, I'm I'm now imposing my own boundaries. Yeah, it can. And I've experienced that as well because I don't see my own mum. But mm. yeah, I had for many, many years a number of my family members, but it's your mum. But you need to have that relationship with her. But this, but that. But I experienced an awful lot of emotional abuse from my mum right through to my adulthood. And knowing what I know, I know that I made the right decision. And what I had to do as a result of that, I just said, look, I can't, this is my decision. I'm an adult and I don't want to talk about it. So if you Mm -hmm. want this relationship with me, that's fine. Have it. You've got to almost sit, stand with your boundaries and just think to yourself, is this what I want? Am I protecting myself? Yes. Am I protecting my children? Yes. You can still love someone and have boundaries in this circumstance. So, for example, in yours, Kai, what what an option could be that I'd explore with my clients is, okay, so I'm not going to take the children around to the house, but what I might do is go and meet them for a walk in the park because it's neutral territory. They haven't got the upper hand. I'm still offering my love and care and support, but I'm protecting my children from it. And, you know, depending on how that goes and whether they're intoxicated or not, then I might think that, you know, ask the children if they want to see them. Mm-hmm. So that there's these little strategies that we can use. But the other aspect of it is go and find people that are going through a similar yeah. situation that as you, which you've obviously been to Al-Anon. And when people come into my group and my work, they're like, I can't believe I'm not on my own. I didn't yeah. know. I thought I was going mad. Um, but yeah so it's just having faith in your decisions and believing in it and it's not easy when you're ground down by the behavior of the person that she's in the substances yeah but we balance the boundary setting with some of the other things I'm going to tell you so we'll see what what you think after that Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah setting those boundaries but then we have to communicate them so another aspect is positive communication so we pick one or two And we either communicate them to our loved one um, and try and have a conversation only when they are sober, intoxicated, or we wait for something to happen to draw it into the conversation. But again, only when they're sober. So, for example, if you've made an arrangement with your partner and they're they're absolutely hammered um, when you sit down to eat dinner, for example, you can then say, look, I'm going to leave you to it because I, I, I like being around you when you're sober. So I'm going to go and do X, Y, and Z. Enjoy yourself. I'm going to go and do my own thing. So you withdraw your company as well. That's one of the other strategies. But then as soon as we can, we go back to them and have that conversation when they're sober, but focus on our feelings and not their behavior. Oh, okay. So you know the I statements and the I message techniques where we say, you know, last night when we arranged to have a meal together, um, I felt really disappointed that you were intoxicated. I'd really love it in the future if when we make a plan, you that you try not to drink because I, I want to be around you when you're sober. So that's instead of, ah, oh God, you're absolutely <laughs> wasted last night. I'm so busy, you know, all of that. Which, yeah. which is quite easy to do, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, yeah. And gosh, we've all, I, I've told you, I'm the most emotionally reactive person ever. I was brought up like that. I, that's how I would naturally respond. But you've got to take a step out of it and think, right, let's think strategically. They're hammered. I can't do anything about it. I'm going to withdraw my company when they are intoxicated. Yeah. I am going to assert my boundaries tomorrow using positive communication. So we've got three strategies in there, right? Mm-hmm. And then we are going to look at all of our helpful behaviours and explore which of those are actually helping our loved one and which are enabling. And I don't like the term enabling. 
but it's something that we're here in this this field it's, it's something that people can relate to isn't it yeah so what enabling means I mean it should be a positive thing yeah positive form of language but it's not it's been changed to fit this narrative that um you know we remove the natural consequences of somebody else's drug or alcohol use by putting too much support in place and until somebody who is using drugs and alcohol experiences all of those consequences they're just not going to change um i don't personally believe in rock bottoms or anything like that or tough love so that's not what i i i work like but there is something about um, you know, somebody having to experience the consequences to change. And if they don't, if somebody's cleaning up after them, ringing in sick to work, buying them alcohol, sitting with them while they're getting absolutely wasted, whatever it is, they're not going to change. It's too comfortable. So that's the other thing. I must admit, uh, our, our experience is, is that we were a lot of the time, as you were sort of saying, mopping up after people and, you know, sort of um, papering over the cracks and it was only when it just sort of got too much and we just decided, you know, uh, as a family, right, let's just face up, let's face the music and let's say there is a problem here. And it was only when we admitted that, that suddenly all the help and support from fr- other friends and family came in because it was a bit like they were waiting. We were very much not in denial, but putting on that mask and pretending that everything was fine. And it was, and that was enabling bad behaviour. Obviously, it was enabling, you know, the the the, um, you know, those who who were misusing to sort of get away with it. And it's only when we actually said, no, 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 this things are going to change, and we sort of said we've got a problem here, that everyone just dived in. They they were obviously not comfortable because it's that sort of, are we interfering or not? Um, and it was, you know, it was so wonderful that sort of suddenly people just came out of the woodwork and just sort of said, we've seen this, we've been witnessing it and we're here for you. And and, and the sad thing was, is that we for, for years thought that we'd sort of kidded everyone and everyone thought it was all, all right. And everyone knew it wasn't, you know, so it, it, you're quite right is sort of covering up or pretending everything's fine is just allowing that sort of that. I was going to say bad behaviour. It's not really. It's just unacceptable, maybe. It's just allowing it to continue. Yeah, it does. But the, the thing is, and it's not, this isn't to make anyone feel guilty because everybody enables. And when, yes. when I work with people, that, and it's from a place of love. It's not because, you know, you, you admit you're intentionally doing something no. wrong. It's because families naturally want to close rank yeah. and, try and handle it themselves but actually it doesn't usually work I mean quite a lot of people that do get well on their own but you can kind of tell by the patterns by the length of time it's been going on um, you know by what's worked before and what hasn't what strategies that you need to try something new and I think that's where my my work comes in because when you've tried, so it feel like you've tried everything and nothing's changing and yep. you're going round and round in that cycle, but your loved one won't change or they say they will and then they change their mind. And then it's just all chaos and it affects the whole family. You know, we need to be trying something new and um, that's where these strategies come in. So it's um, understanding the substitutes, getting your own help and support, setting the boundaries, but not making a big long list rewarding your loved one when they're sober that's the one with myths so that's where we think about um anything that your loved one likes uh people places things I know it's difficult in the current climate but and then we remind we start reminding them by planning in some of those activities or even if it's like some family members that I work with they can't stand the loved one and they're like I don't want to do anything with yeah. them and I'm like <laughs> make them a cup of tea then (laughs) you know sit down with them give them the pleasure of your company just for five or ten minutes and say I love it when you're sober because I get to speak to you like this you know so that's the other aspect of it that we work on because all the other stuff the boundaries um helping not enabling it's got to be balanced out with the positive that's that's sometimes I mean I know that on paper that is brilliant that sometimes is a massive ask because I mean I've sort of walked in and just thought 
I can't even bear the sight of you. And it's and the thing is, it's I suppose it is looking, it is sort of internalizing their behavior, not them as a person. And I think that's what we need to remember, isn't it? Is 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 that um emotions do run very, very high. Um but it's it's actually the behaviour that we don't like, and not the beha- not the person behind it. Now, sometimes it can be both, right? But <laughs> but 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 that's interesting. You should say it because I get people coming to me that say, "If I'm going to try this out, and this is like the the last chance scenario, like I'm going to make a decision through doing your work whether to leave my partner, whether to yeah. cut ties with my sibling, and that is an outcome." Yeah. And so and people get the strength to end those relationships. So it's not always about keeping them together. It's sometimes it's about, right, let's give this a go. Try, do the bits that you are comfortable with. And then you make that decision because you're so ground down by it. You can't see the wood for the trees. But how wonderful to be able to have support from either yourself or other people like you to know that listen I'm this is going to be my last ditch but at least I'm doing it right this time because it's having the model and having the strategies behind and knowing that you know this is you know it, and and sometimes the casualty is that the relationship breaks up or you know what and 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 that if that's the the outcome then that's as maybe but it's just having the knowledge that you've actually tried your very best and you've had the professional help behind it as well yeah and where there's children involved we've got to protect those children haven't we like you did you definitely did the right thing in the decision that you made because you, you well yeah. at least it was, it was, there was a self there, there was a, a a safety issue there yeah definitely yeah. yeah, and and you know, keeping those relationships going just because you're supposed to isn't yeah. healthy. You yeah. know, I've seen children that are affected by this, and we want to put as many protective factors in place for them as possible. And sometimes that means having a distance, or you know, within households, because I do work with um, people whose partners are using. Um, and, you know, one example is that they agreed that when uh, the husband was drinking that he did it in another room. When you're intoxicated, you don't come out and yeah. see to, to us and the children. You stay in that room. And he actually went along with it, which was great. That's an ideal scenario. Um, but, yes, yeah, like it just makes a difference because what we're trying to do is leave the person with their substances, but nothing else. Because where there's conflict, there's a trigger to use. And normally in families, that's what's happening, the conflict, conflict, conflict. And then it's just an excuse to use the substance. So we want to bring that right down so it's better for the whole family, better for the children, better for the, the adult, better for the person living with the other person or having that regular contact. And then you can assess the situation, figure out what's going to happen next. But with this type of work, most of the time, the person using substances changes. Yeah. We can't change the behavior, but we can influence by changing the environment. And that's what this work is all about. We change the environment so that the conflicts reduce, so that they're getting praise and rewards when they're sober. Think about parenting. That's what we do with children. Yeah. That's what we do with our dogs. That is what we do with our adults as well. Yeah. We like yeah. praise. We like rewards. So that's part of it. We communicate positively. So it's not all, you know, passive aggression or aggression and argument. So we're doing that. And it's not easy to do. That's why, you know, people need support. Yes. But that's what that's what I do in my work and it works. Yeah. Exactly. Just uh, just a quick aside for, for parents, because I know I, I've I've got a couple of clients who are concerned about the teenagers' misuse of drugs. Um, do the same strategies apply, or is there something else that we need to bear in mind as well as a parent of a child that's misusing? Yeah, so it's the same strategies, but the additional thing is that you have a parenting role. So that so it's we have to tweak these strategies because like you wouldn't necessarily leave a teenager, would you, when they're intoxicated, for example. 
yeah. you'd have to think of another way around it. I've just worked with somebody that has um, a teen teenager who's um, in this situation, and it's a specialist piece of work, really. So we worked one to one on it. Yeah. Um. So there is a tweak to it, but what I would say is every single local authority has a young people substance misuse service. Speak to them and get some help, even if you ring up anonymously. What I think they that's can. That's the thing. It's the stigma, isn't it, Victoria? It's a stigma, yeah. But a lot of the services they have. Um, oh, what's that website called? Um, I can't remember. There is a website for children. I'll have to send you it after. Um, but yeah, there are most of the websites will have a lot of information and advice on it. Yeah. Um, what I would do is speak to your children about substances as early as possible. Yeah. My daughter's seven. She understands that my work is with people who take drugs, people who drink, some people drink too much, um, and some people have problems. And she knows that most of those people that drink and use drugs have mental health problems. 70% of people in treatment services have mental health issues as well. Right. Okay. So, so when you said before about, you know, the person isn't a bad person, that's absolutely true. I've been a substance misuse worker since 2005 and I've helped people through it. So this is in no way to, you know, um, uh, be negative about them because people need help. They don't choose necessarily yeah. to get into that situation. But, yeah, with teens, just have the conversations, speak about, you know, the pros and cons at that age. They are experimenting. Most of the time, look at the patterns, see if that's bumping into that regular substance use. Um, and if you can get them some specialist help and support through your local agencies, because that most of those agencies, it wouldn't go on their records, mm -hmm. on their health records. It's a separate record, but you'd need to check that if you contacted them. And those services can offer information and advice for the children. So even if it's low level, they'll have leaflets or they can do like three or four sessions with young people as well. So if you can do that, otherwise just have a look, um, uh, have a conversation with them about why people use substances and what the risks are around it. Uh, there's no point just telling them people die because I didn't take any notice of that. No, um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it's doing it all without judgment, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I was listening to one of your other podcasts, Kai. What was it called? The X Plan. Yes, yes. Yeah, that was yeah. the one about alcohol, wasn't it? Um, and that's a good strategy to have with it, children. It is just giving them, an, uh, yes, a, a, a strategy that they can bail at any time um, so that if they find that they get in over their heads, um, they're able to sort of they're able to get out of a sticky situation whilst not losing face with their mates. I think that's quite important for the, you know, for our teenagers really. Yeah. And the other thing to consider is just, um, you know, the, the dosage that are in drugs these days, like in my day, like an ecstasy tablet had 80 milligrams uh, of MDMA in. Now it's like 240, 280. Oops. Yeah. Yeah. So it's things like that that young people need to be really aware of. Um, and that's why we're getting more overdoses of, uh, you know, in, in young people with the substances. The cocaine in the 90s was single figures purity. Yeah. And now it's like 60, 70 percent. It's strong. Just yeah. Yeah. Um, and kids might think, oh, yeah, that's buzzing or whatever, <laughs> whatever they say. But actually, it's a risk and that's why I, I personally support the decriminalization of drugs because then we would have dosage on everything like we do with alcohol yeah yeah I can I can see that yeah because otherwise kids have no idea what they're taking and how much of it I mean kids wouldn't be allowed it over the counter anyway let's face True it enough. but at least yeah. yes at yeah. least it'd bring it into the narrative around drugs yeah for yeah. young people um, and the other thing to talk to about is the, the um, you know, the ABV on the alcohol. So it's different having a bottle of vodka to a few beers. Yes. Um, and as parents, we can talk to our children about that, can't we? Yeah, absolutely. 
Victoria, thank you so much, my love. A, a, a topic that um, a lot of people don't really, I, in fact, I've been fairly sort of frank and honest and, and I don't think a lot of what I have said today, I haven't sort of said elsewhere. So there we are. So thank you for that. Um, how do people get in contact with you? Yeah, they can. Uh, I have a free group, uh, Facebook group called the yeah. Family Recovery Club. You can search that uh, in I'll the search bar. I'll put the link bar. in the show notes. Yeah, um, I'm on Facebook as well, so Kyle pop that in. And I also have a free download with the top te- top ten tips for family recovery, which will cover what we've covered today. Brilliant. So if anyone wants to download that, I think you're going to pop that in as well. I am. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And That's then brilliant. Just find the best approach on social media, and I will happily help. Thank you so much, my love. It's it's been I, if only I had um, been able to chat to you about sort of 15, 20 years ago. But hey, it's that that's the way it goes, isn't it? Really, um, but yeah. it's wonderful that we are able to talk more openly about um, some of the struggles that families are facing. So thank you for getting your message out there. Thank you for having me. All right, my love. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Thank you. And before you switch off. Don't forget that throughout the month of April 2021, I am offering all my online courses with a 50% discount to celebrate the fact that the Parent and Teen Toolbox has reached the ripe old age of one years old. So when you go into the checkout, don't forget to use the coupon code 5050, F-I-F-T-Y, F-I-F-T-Y. Until next time, much love. Thanks so much for listening to this entire podcast. If you want to help other parents looking for support, then please share this with your friends and family. Because if you found this podcast useful, then they will too. So please share via your social media. If you have any parenting questions, then please give me a shout through my email, which is toolbox at kygraham.com. And I may even use your question as a future podcast episode. If you want to connect, please come and join me on Instagram. Just search for Kai Graham. Also, could you do me a favour, please? Parenting teenagers can feel very confusing and isolating at times. And I believe that it takes a village to raise a child. And we are here to support one another. I'd love it if you would leave a review on iTunes. And a good one, by the way. (laughs) Because when you do, it lets more parents out there know that there is support for them too. Thank you. And as always, this comes with much love.